0: Our Old Testament reading this morning is from the book of the prophet Jeremiah in the 31st chapter beginning at verse 31 and continuing through verse 36. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, And I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day, and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order were ever to cease from my presence, says the Lord, then also the offspring of Israel would cease to be a nation before me forever. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. This morning's New Testament reading comes to us from the Gospel according to Luke in the 5th chapter, beginning at verse 36 and continuing through verse 39. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. He, Jesus, told them this parable also. No one tears a piece from a new cloak to patch an old one. If he does, he will have made a hole in the new cloak, and the patch from the new will not match the old, nor does anyone put new wine into old wine skins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will be wasted and the skins ruined. Fresh skins for new wine. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants new, for he says The old wine is good. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Reading this parable of Jesus's, the words that are the most familiar in it are probably those which appear on the cover of your bulletins this morning. The admonition against putting new wine in old wine skins. If you're going to do that, well, you're just asking for trouble and a big mess as well. We're pretty sure that the message here is meant to be interpreted metaphorically. And if it is, we can understand Jesus to be telling us that the new life he is bringing us cannot be received the way it is intended to be, if we are unwilling to make some accommodations as recipients of this marvelous gift, you have to let go before you can hold on. Most of you are of a level of maturity that you can remember when Monty Hall was the host of the TV game show, Let's Make a Deal. If someone were to offer you what's behind door number two in exchange for those three crisp new hundred dollar bills that Monty had just given you for having a, a paper clip or a rubber band in your pocket or in your purse, would you take it? That was the dilemma of all those costumed contestants that were chosen from the studio audience. Well, how about if you knew with absolute certainty that waiting behind door number two was a new car? Then would you be willing to give back those Benjamins? Unless you could do without a new ride, or you didn't want to pay the taxes, on such an extravagant prize, most folks would jump at the car behind door number two. Now, I listened to the chair of the board of the fellowship community, the outfit that organized the conference that I was at this week, speak a bit about the challenges that the organization has has faced over the past couple of years. They had no idea what was behind door number two, or door number one, or door number three. The annual conference that had been scheduled for 2020 had been postponed, rescheduled, and then ultimately canceled. The board had not convened in person since the beginning of the pandemic. There were these vagaries of the quarantine and vaccine and mask mandates that it interfered with the organization's planning process. But despite the adversity that they, and well, let's face it, all of us have faced in ways quite similar or quite different, throughout it all, God has continued to show up day in and day out, hour by challenging hour, right here in the midst of our struggles and our challenges. And while it is true that we may have preferred to have been Stuck with the old wine, it's become impractical and in many cases unlawful to do so. Quite often we are finding the ways that the Spirit has been moving in this pandemic era were both faithful and surprising. To the extent, then, we allow the moving of the Holy Spirit to surprise us, I believe that we may have been offered a cure for a cure. What am I talking about? Well, over the past month, work has on and off, very slowly most times, but work has been underway at our house down on Chinchety. As the expert crew has been putting a series of steel beams and hydraulic jacks beneath the structure to raise the level of the first floor joists from their previous elevation of three and a half feet above sea level. We're learning a number of things along the way. Recently, with the lifting portion complete, the masonry for the new foundation had been delivered to the job site. But prior to laying those blocks, the workers had to pour new footers upon which to construct the foundation. Well, after some engineering and some rain delays, the forms that have been constructed were filled with fresh concrete. And then, well, then we had to wait. We had to wait for it to cure. It's not just that you can't very well stick objects into wet cement, except maybe for your hands and feet. But one has to wait for it to dry sufficiently in order for it to gain strength. That's what's happening during the curing process. To my untrained eyes, I, I wouldn't know when enough time had elapsed that the concrete had hardened enough to proceed. Well, that's why I'm not the general contractor. But what I do know is this. It's not just cement, nor ceramic, nor even ham or tobacco that can cure over time, I would submit to you that human beings also, you and I, can over time also cure. And that can be a handy thing. We harden to criticism, and therefore we are able to withstand callous remarks or words spoken in anger. That's a a good life skill to acquire if we are patient and forbearing and forgiving of those who transgress and trespass against us. People can also cure to danger. They can develop a tolerance for risk that allows them to operate under very difficult and trying circumstances of military or law enforcement or firefighting responsibilities. And this enables them to protect their own lives and save the lives of others. That too is an instance in which the curing of courage is very beneficial. But there are other circumstances in which curing can become detrimental when we become cold and callous to suffering, or when our hearts are hardened and bitter, when we become inflexible and unwilling to accept change, even when it becomes apparent that to do so would be beneficial, when we discern that it is God's will that we move, and yet we resist with every fiber of our being, These old wineskins of ours have been good enough so far, and if it ain't broke, well, don't fix it. This October will mark three years since that Reformation Sunday morning. I stood before you here on this spot and encouraged us as individuals and as a congregation to enter into a season of prayer, one that would lead to more intentional Faithful discernment of what the Lord was calling us to do as individuals, to be as a congregation in this wonderfully unique outpost of the body of Christ. Part of that work, I'm coming to believe, will involve a cure for our cure. We are celebrating 350 years as an organized congregation this year. Not many others in this country have been blessed with such tenacity. We have been more, we have much more to be grateful to God for. It has not always, throughout those 350 years, been smooth sailing, but through times of plenty and through times of want, the Lord continues to be faithful unto us. As his mercies are new, morning by morning, a new day is dawning in this world and right here at Rehoboth, We've got a long storied history to build on here, a well-cured foundation. But I think we should be cautious that we don't get trapped by or in it. That is one of the pitfalls of a cure. Going through the The motions, thinking that things are good enough. Growing up, I lived in a place that received, on average, between 60 and 65 days of sunshine every year. It was cloudier than it was in Seattle, it was snowier than it was in Buffalo. Yet, that's what we were used to. And for the natives, well, that was good enough. It wasn't until my parents had retired to the lower tax state of North Carolina and I went to visit them there that I became aware, much to my surprise, that that there were other people who were living beneath clear skies most of the time. And then my old good enough became less good. Speaking of surprises, I challenge you to pick up the scriptures and read them. Start anywhere in the Bible you want, toward the front, in the middle, at the back, doesn't matter. Dive in at the start of a book or halfway down a page, and I guarantee you that within just a few verses, you're going to be surprised by something that you read. The holy text we've been given is just chock full of surprises, for it was authored by a God who is just chock full of surprises. Last week, you may recall, I made reference to the adage that familiarity breeds contempt. As I talked a bit about how the Hebrews, who had correctly understood them to be a chosen people of God, had over time lost sight of the intent and the purpose of the covenant that their God had made with them. If we are honest, I think most of us would admit to being a bit like those Hebrews of the Old Testament. Over time, we have become complacent, taking for granted the sheer greatness of the good news of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his rule over not just heaven, but also over the earth. When we hear the old, old story again, the Holy Spirit may use it to serve as a catalyst for moving us out of our complacency, or it may not. Nearly a hundred years ago now, a biblical commentator observed the prejudiced person will not even try the new or admit that it has any merits. He knows that the old is pleasant and suits him, and that is enough. He is not going to change. And then he goes on to say this. This is Christ's picture of the reactionary Pharisees. So, what is a cure for a cure such as this? Just like the proverbial answer to every question that was ever posed to you by your favorite Sunday school teacher, the answer is Jesus. His words in the gospel and his spirit deep, deep, deep down in our hearts, if we understand them to be active and not static, the words of Jesus in the gospels and his spirit can animate us. They can chip away at our cured, calcified Christian faith and life, not with the destructive force of a sledgehammer, usually, but with the freeing of a sculptor's chisel that gently yet persistently shapes us by releasing the art from within the block of cured clay. Last week I preached on a text from Acts in which Peter was being cured of a preconceived notion of his that had cured within him. Namely, that the Gentiles were excluded from among the ranks of those who could receive the gift of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And this week we hear Jesus speaking of another radical change, that of new wine. Wine that he is providing us all with. Wine given to us that we may never thirst again. But to properly understand and enjoy it, we are going to have to be willing first to receive such a cure for a cure. And for that, we may truly say thanks be to God and amen.